Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I'm really excited for you to meet today's guest, Shelly Omilati Bell, founder of Black Girl Ventures. She's doing amazing things for black and brown female founders. But before I bring Omi on, I want to remind you about the Dear Founder Facebook community. It's a place for founders to connect, offer advice, and ask for support. Make sure to click the link in the show notes and request to join. It's free. If you want a little more from me, I invite you to join me once a month in my new exclusive group, Founder Confidential. This is a once a month Zoom lesson plus Q&A that will cover various topics on founding, growing, and selling a business. From time to time, I'll even bring on special guests and more. Click the link in my show notes. We're kicking off in April. Shelly Omilati Bell is a systems disruptor. She's blazed new ways of thinking in the educational, political, and financial systems and has scaled over 100 businesses across sectors. Omi has worked as a K-12 educator, patent examiner, spoken word artist, and as a computer scientist and nonprofit executive. Between creating the first TP for women on Airbnb, launching a business as a single mom of three, and building tech platforms for equitable financial capital, Omi practices the mantra she preaches to resist being average. Her most recent disruption, Black Girl Ventures Foundation, transforms entrepreneurship by reimagining the way black and brown women founders get access to financial and social capital. I am beyond honored and excited to introduce you to today's dear founder guest, Shelly Omilati Bell. Come on in and meet her. All right. So today on Dear Founder, we have a remarkable founder and CEO. We have Shelly Omilade Bell, who is the founder and CEO of Black Girl Ventures. And Black Girl Ventures creates access to capital, capacity, and community for Black and Brown women identifying founders. And, you know, Omi, I, I'm blown away by your story. I loved it when it was pitched to me. And I love what you're doing for the future of entrepreneurship and the future of women and the future of women of color. So I would love for you to take us back and tell us how it is that you founded this amazing organization. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. This is awesome, Lindsay. I can't wait to just have this conversation because you're great. So thank you. Um, oh my goodness. I've been at Black Girl Ventures now for um uh, six years, going on six years. But prior, you know, before that, I lived a lot of lives. So I was a K through 12 educator for some time. I worked in workforce development, managing a pretty huge uh contract. I um I called myself a private eye at one point. I was a vacuum cleaner. So, you know, like I would I've I've done it. <laughs> I have my own <laughs> art organization. Uh, which is where I really learned to truly like focus on community. And 
you know, I think when I think about the the collection of my experience, I feel like it was a really great prep for what I do at Black Girl Ventures. It's, it's almost like you know, if I would have really looked back at it, my the universe has been building my purpose, you know, or this vehicle or platform for it as I've been kind of journeying through these different things. I say that because working as an educator, I got an opportunity to kind of get a 360 degree of life. I started out in middle school, then ended up teaching elementary, then ended up teaching high school, and I'm an engineer. So my degree is in computer science. And so I always taught computer classes. And then when I started teaching high school, I was teaching computer um, engine, like computer coding, specifically teaching computer science. I, t- I tell that part of the story because the intersection of art and engineering has been a sweet spot for how I'm able to move throughout life. Um, like I'm logical, but I still have this bit of creativity that all, you know, bundled together. So let's see, 2013-ish. Um, I decided that I'm running, I've been, I've been running an art organization that I built and I'm like, Hey, I need consistent funding. I'm going back to work, got a job doing some, uh, workforce development. And, uh, I actually, uh, my boss asked me to go stand in front of city council. And I knew that he, just like, he's a terrible person and he just did not, well, you know what, let me say terrible, just did not care about the employees or the community we were serving. And I said to myself, I don't want the first time the city council sees me to be in support of this company. So I sent one of my employees because I was a program manager. He was livid. Uh, he did not appreciate that. And he laid me off. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to do art for a year. I'm a performance poet. I'm not even going to go find another job right away. During that year, you know, met a, a partner, romantic partner, fell in what layers of what might have been called love at some point. Um, and then <laughs> uh, planned a, a, my third child at that, my, at that time. When I was about to have the child, I said, hey, you know what? I want to start a business or I want to get a job in art. And my fiance at that time was like, I don't think that's a good idea. He felt like entrepreneurship was not going to be stable enough for our family. And um, he just it was too risky. And so I'd never been a wife before. I had been a mom twice over. That was my third time. But so I knew how to do that, but didn't know what it meant. You know, I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, I'm supposed to compromise, right? Like, I guess I'm about to get married. I'm about to be a wife. I guess this is what I'm supposed to listen to this person. (laughs) So I did. I, you know, caught up some friends, networked, got a job doing some patent searching because I worked at the patent and trademark office at one point in this stint of my life, right? And um, I hated it every day. Best boss I've ever had, but I hated it every day. I, 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 I thought I was faking it really well, though. And so one day my boss called me in and said, you're amazing, but this is not for you. And he laid me off. He gave me a decent like severance package and everything, but I was devastated. I went home and I called California Psychics because I didn't know <laughs> what else to do. I was like, I don't know. Somebody got to know something other than what I know, because this is not life. I never get laid off twice. Some is happening. And it's um, also defeating to get laid off when you're such a great employee, right? Like that's, it's it's very hard to understand that even though now you probably understand that your boss did you a favor. 100%. And I always say he was a really great boss because it wasn't necessarily him. Um at the same time, I don't know if I was a great employee because I always want to fix things, fix things that people just didn't want to fix. I always wanted to make systems better that people didn't want to 
make better buy into. Um, so I always say I'm a terrible employee because I can't just follow the, whatever rule you're giving me. I'm like, I like this rule, but I was also thinking it could be prettier if we do this thing. You know what I mean? I'm that person. Yeah. <laughs> so I was destined to be building my own thing anyway. Make good trouble. There you go. Um, so I get laid off. I call California Psychics and a woman, she told me, when you find a thing you want to, that you want to do, the money will come and you're not going to be with that guy. So then two months, my entire life, life flipped upside down. I got unengaged, disengaged. I don't know what the right word. I broke. <laughs> that was it for that. And honestly, this was what I would describe as my rock bottom. You know, I've lost, uh, you know, I've been a single parent before and now I'm a single parent again. You know, here I am, you know, I'm not married. I'm, you know, in my mid thirties at that point. And I'm just like, what in the world? I have, a, I threw out all the furniture in my living room. I started building furniture. I think I was in fight or flight, to be honest. I repainted the walls. I started building my own furniture and my children were just like, okay. <laughs> and one of the things that I did for my first, you know, run, you know, try, run at business this particular time, because I always had a side hustle. But this particular time, like I'm going to be full time. I'm going to do this thing for real, for real. I built I built a tent in my living room and I rented it out on Airbnb. Everybody thought I was crazy because they were like, oh, what are you going to do what? I'm like, I'm going to build this tent in my living room and I'm going to rent it out on Airbnb. Well, you know, Airbnb has all kind of funky options for like where people can sleep and stay. And I put it up and it worked. But after having one come, one woman come and say, I quickly found out that I didn't want people sleeping in my living room in a tent. I actually didn't want that, right? So I was like, what else can I do? How can this work? Started looking at other business ideas. Uh, Remember that I learned how to do t-shirt printing at a previous job. And so I started my first uh, t-shirt line, which is an LGBT line. It sucked. Nobody bought it. It bombed. It It didn't work out. And then I was on the phone with the printer I was talking to. And I said, you know what? It's made by a Black woman. I should put that on a shirt. And so I literally went to the computer designed the Made by a Black Woman logo to pattern after the Made in America logo, put it on a shirt and everybody loved it. My mom gave me uh, some of her retirement money. She was my first investment investor. I took my tax return and I went and bought my own machines because I realized that if I have my own machines, at least I can leverage it through like insurance or renting it out or selling it if I ever need it. It was an asset. If I ever needed it mm-hmm. to make me money, that I could do that. And so alongside launching the print shop, the um, the t-shirt line, I also launched a print shop. So I'm printing for myself and I'm printing for other people's small festivals through networking, started getting orders from like Amazon and Google and started doing like more and more print products for them. Um, with the with the t-shirt line, we're vending up, vending up and down the East Coast, everything from Afropunk to small like women festivals um, that were happening locally. I learned so much about people throughout my life, my life period, you know, like just like through education and teaching at those different levels, seeing the whole development of you, of of people as a young person through like then going into like entrepreneurship and um, even workforce development and seeing a different development of of how people were and then vending, which now is, is like we can't really do as much because of COVID. But vending taught me so much about the art of the sale, about 
you know, how to catch people's attention, about how to just talk to people about your product, pitching on the spot, you know, doing your spiel on the spot. It's taught me so much. So I'm living my life, you know, boom, here I am. Got a t-shirt company. It's rocking and rolling now. We made Essence Magazine, Holiday Gift Guide, and our first full year in business. Got a big uptick in orders from there. And then the news comes out. Black women are starting businesses at six times the national average, yet receiving less than 1% of venture capital. Women are receiving less than 2% of venture capital. Women are, you know, um, receiving loans, lower loans at higher interest rates. Like, you know, all these things that were showing so many inequities um, in how women were being treated in the business realm, how black women or brown women were being treated and how men or white men were being treated. And I'm like, you know what? I can do something. Like, literally, my thought was I could do something about that. It wasn't like a long, like, ooh, I should create it. It was none of that. And it was like, ooh, you know what? Let's just pull some people together, you know, put some money in a hat and give it away. So I put it up on meetup.com. 30 people showed up to a house in Southeast D.C. Um, I cooked all the food myself, which I vowed to never do again. And I haven't, thank God. <laughs> um, I ran the whole thing like a poetry slam. If You know, at a poetry slam, you get three minutes to do your poem, then you get random members from the audience that vote. I didn't think I could find four random members from the audience to business acumen. So I just opened the floor where everybody in the audience could basically raise their hand, come up to the mic and give the feedback. And it just was so great. We voted with marbles and coffee mugs. So you, how many businesses pitched at that first? Four. So four businesses pitched and then how many, and then there were 30 people there that voted. Yeah. Okay. With marbles and coffee mugs. If you like that person, you put your marble in their coffee mug. Whoever had the most marbles in their coffee mug, that's the one. We are still to this day in touch with our first winner. That's amazing. Um, People liked it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this. Okay, let's keep doing it. So that we kept doing it. And just naturally, the way I think about business and business acumen, I started looking for other spaces, other places to host it. What we found, though, from a diversity standpoint, is that first we're like black women pitching to black women. Then it was just like women pitching women. And I said, you know what? This is not going to work. Like we're not going to be able to get as much capital as we want to flow in our community. It was just us pitching to us. Even though I think affinity groups are definitely necessary and relevant and make sense to have. I also realized that like the uh, sometimes the, the lack of, in, of complete integration of knowledge um, it's holding multiple people back um, in various ecosystems, whether it's community-wise, socioeconomically, um, you know, or even just down to race and ethnicity and gender and identity. So I created this tagline because I gotten feedback that, that because it was Black Girl Ventures, that people who weren't Black felt like they couldn't come. And so I created a tagline that said, um, everyone can attend, but Black and Brown women will win. And then we moved into like co-working spaces like um, we work and uh-huh. make offices to, to really get to a more diverse audience while we kept the stage or the people who were able to speak or talk or who you were being, who you were voting for or donating to, we kept that being black and brown women. So how did it evolve? So you, the first one was the coffee mugs and the marbles. So that was your first competition. Detail for us how a competition occurs now? Like what is the process now? And how many do you do a year? Yeah. 
So back then, the pro- so this historically, um, what we do comes from Black history. In the early 1900s, um, Black people migrated to Harlem. The landowners raised the rent. And so Black people threw parties to stay in their home, basement parties that they charge an admission fee to pay their rent. And um, these were not just any parties. You had people like Fats Waller, Duke Ellington, Langston Hughes, like really important Black figures being a part of, you know, this. And so what essentially what I did was create the largest rent party for entrepreneurs, for Black and Brown entrepreneurs in the world, right? And, and part of that was the initial model was you pay to get in the door. I would split that capital with the person that got the most votes. Over time, I ended up getting a partnership with Google. And so we moved these into the Google offices. And at that point, I couldn't pay people to come into Google. I mean, I couldn't charge people, I'm sorry, to come into Google. And so I had to shift. I shifted the model to this vote with your dollars model. We became a Google charity. And then you can come in and we would use like manual tech platforms. You know, they were just like voting platforms to determine the winner and things like that. So it went from marbles to like, a tech platform we were using, it was fairly um, manual. And then I started experimenting with our donor platform. Like, hey, like, could I create campaigns for everybody? Have people go and then just donate to the campaigns. But look like, so if anybody out there that's building a tech company as you build tech, know that the first, your beta version sometime is you pulling a bunch of existing tech tools together and testing out, will this actually work, right? Another part of it was studying previous fintech models like like paypal and ebay right when ebay was created the the people who were the owners of uh ebay they made it so that you had to pay via paypal which then grew paypal right so i'm like okay here we are with this awesome platform for women pitching i'm going to build a tech platform that where you are going to donate through this platform and so with that, that's how the tech platform we have now is called Razify. Um, this is actually the second version of the platform. <laughs> um, it was called SheRaise at first. Um, but now you can do all the voting and the donating there. So with the pitch program, what happens is that we coach the founders. So there's an application process. Seven people get selected. We coach them, give them pitch practice, give them feedback. We have a production, which is now like TV show level. We have a production where we film it and then we we influence alongside our founders. So the difference between us and other like crowdfunding platforms is everything's on the founder for the crowdfunding platforms. With us, it's a collaboration between us, the founder and the community. So your videos go up on Razify. We open up the voting. People can go and uh, watch as many videos as they want and vote with their dollars uh, for those the founders pitch that they favor. And since then we have branched out into other programs because the the pitch became so popular that so many people wanted us to come everywhere. And I'm like, I actually can't do that. <laughs> I can't. So how will we, how will we scale this? And my thought was, I'm not like, we can't as this one entity, we need to train people how to do what we do. Everybody told me not to don't train them. Don't, you know, you don't want to give your idea away and, I'm like, no, if we if if everybody started doing crowdfunded pitch competitions, I have created an immense amount of change in the world and I can back up and do something else. So I'm like, I'm going to let this go. And like as a founder, that is a really huge uh, decision to make. But I do want to point out and I just 
this is what I just wrote down. It wasn't just that you had created this crowdfunding pitch and capital raising event strategy. You also created the technology. And that is what is the differentiator between you and other organizations and even other VCs. I mean, like you, you have a tech platform that you run the whole operation through. So you can absolutely teach other people how to host an event. That's not rocket science. People can figure that out. That's, you know, that's not like a patented thing, but no one has your technology. That's right. Uh, now would be the moment that they decide to uh, trim the bushes outside. So let me know. I can't hear anything. A... Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you know what? Uh, we actually, I haven't, I don't know that I've been taking as much opportunity to talk about it as much because I've just been so head down and building. And so I'm a tech founder. We, I built this tech platform out with a dev shop. All of it's completely from my brain in terms of how it had to be built. Um, and but it didn't start with the tech. It started no, with the community. It, it started, started with, with the purpose. And from that, you realized you needed a platform. And so you used your background in engineering and creativity to come up with a platform to house all of this. Right? 100%. 100%. Like, and that has been a huge part of developing the work. Right. Because we also want to get things to our founders like transparency. So on the back end of the tech product, they can see their votes coming through. They can see the competition. There's a leaderboard. We have um, we've now built in some analytics so that they can be able to actually like see who's visiting. Um, but when I would venture to say also, you have probably helped so many more people because you have this technology than you would have if you had just continued to run community-based events, which were, are awesome in and of itself, because what I, I think what you've done is so amazing because you've married the importance of the, the community, even during a time over the last two years when there is no in-person anything, you've been able to marry the importance of the community, but with the importance of having the foundation of a great technological platform, because that has made you that much more successful. And it's ultimately lifted up more founders. 100%. I mean, the thing about our platform too is that people also gain more customers. So uh, with the Nike competition, um, our the winner, she gained at 427 new customers, right? And I think that's the part. So there's this, the cut, the audience participation is about the capital, but it's also about the awareness and the visibility for that company. And it's about the, you know, direct consumer feedback, because when you're a small business, you don't have, you may not have the capital to go out and pay a research firm to, you know, help you under, you know, understand your product better or to ask a bunch of opinions. Right. And so this put them right out there to be able to see what consumers think about what they're creating, because you can also give them feedback in a platform. And so I think like we look at it as, as, as multi-layered. The, um, to date, we funded over 270 women. We have efforts across about uh, 15 cities. Uh, we have um, our founders represent about 10 million in revenue and about 3000 jobs. It's um, incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And you should be so proud first yeah. and foremost, you know, but I think the, you know, there's so, to, to what you just said, this is a multi-layer process that you have going on because 
you have this tech component, which we touched upon, but then you also, you have to go out and find funding. So, because you are a nonprofit. So I want to say that, and you're, you're, you're a nonprofit and you're funding these other businesses. So there's the fundraising aspect. And then you also have to go out and find the founders and go through that application process. So there's a whole lot of pieces that are working together to make Black Girl Ventures run. Oh, 100%. So we have the pitch program. We also have a fellowship program that's in market. So it's focused hyper-locally. And that's nine months of training, of leadership training, because we realize that not only do we need more businesses being funded, but we need more people at the table saying, hey, fund those businesses. Or we need people with more leadership and awareness at the tables, um, what I call cultural competency. Like we need more people to have cultural competency in order to be able to really create an ecosystem feel, right? Because it's not, if one particular part of the ecosystem advances, it actually can't without the other part. So it's like, we need everybody working together, all things working together, such that this kind of entrepreneurial highway has its on-ramps, off-ramps, you know, its speeds, its, its investments, it's, you know, all the things that need to happen in order to really push the economy forward. It's, it, it is not charity, it's economics. I think the part of what we do that is charitable in terms of us being a nonprofit is that this is truly a legacy oh, building, wealth building, sustainability um, addressing deeper issues within households, affecting families, building strengthening, building communities, and strengthening communities. Um, because you know you don't know when you the Whole Foods pops up and you're like, oh, we're getting a Whole Foods, right? Like, but what if we also had small, were able to think about small businesses that way? Oh, I didn't even know there was a this type of skincare company in my city. Oh, wow, okay, mm, duly noted. I'm gonna try that, right? So I think there's ingenuity. I think there is um, economic progress. I think there's hiring, um, you know, and like I said, strengthening families and communities. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. So what I wanted to ask you was you said early on in the conversation, like that it wasn't some drawn out plan that you were like, oh, and I'm going to I'm I'm going to help fund these companies. Like it was just kind of like, a, all right, I can do something about this. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, because I think that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of founders don't have plans. And, and many on this podcast have admittedly said, I didn't have a plan like, you know, and I and I 
there's, there's no plan. There's loosey goosey plans. There's, you know, full out business plans. But I would say that most of the founders that I talk to are somewhere within those first two that like they get it going, they get it started and they plan from there. And so I'd love for you to talk about that process and how you've been able to move forward really, you know, with not such a big concrete, tangible plan in place. You know, it's kind of like it's so I don't refer to businesses as a baby, right? I'm that I don't do that because hopefully one day you sell your business and you never sell your baby, right? So I tell people your business is not a baby, but your business does have soul. Um, I think that it, I would compare it to parenting in the sense that like you don't know what you, you there's a bunch of books on parenting, right? Still trying to figure out what it means to parent. <laughs> We're still all trying to figure that out. No matter how old your kids are, you still try to figure that out. Right. So I think it's, it's a lot like that. You know, I was always figure just, I was, I'm a figure it out kind of person. It's like, Hey, let's figure it out. And I'm an ideas kind of person. So I had an idea. I was like, Oh, I think I can make this work. It's funny to say that about, um, you know, as we we're going without a plan that everything we're doing is dictated by need. So, oh, I, I need a business plan now. Okay, cool. Oh, I need to register with the ex sales tax, you know, sales and use tax. Okay, cool. Oh, I need it. But other than that, truly to run the business, if it wasn't for all this compliance challenges, we probably wouldn't think about, reg, you know, registering for most things. We just run it right. and we run it and it will work and people will buy into it and that'd be fine. Right. So a lot of things that you do as an entrepreneur are dictated by need. And, and sometimes that need becomes a, a barrier or a loose barrier to access something else. And so you find yourself kind of bumping up against whatever those things are. Um, it's, it's funny because like, I didn't have a plan, but I was never afraid. I was like building that tent in my living room. You couldn't, there was nobody that could tell me that it wouldn't work. I was a little bit delusional, maybe like, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I was like, what do I have to lose? Because really, who wants a stranger sleeping in their living room? But at the moment, no one could probably tell you otherwise because you were in you were going through something. I was I was I was just like, let's do this. Like, I'm going to make I am not going to stop here. I'm not going to whatever failure looks like uh, because this person left. I'm not going to do that. So you you also talked a little bit earlier on about your partnership with Google. And is that something that is still in place? And Yes, regardless of yes or no, how else are you working with other entities and other companies to get the word out about this program and what you are doing for up and coming black and brown female entrepreneurs? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm not working with Google directly, but I feel like that I feel like that's almost home. Like at some point, we're going to have to circle back and figure that out. And I've had several conversations with different business leaders there, but we had to maybe figure it out because that was like how, where we started it. Um, Google Cloud for Startups, which is now Google for Startups, uh, was a major supporter of, of us building Black Girl Ventures. And that's how we were able to, along with, I was a Google Digital Coach um, as well. And so those two things coupled together is what allowed us to really, really scale within the, um, in the Google offices. Now, though, we work with Nike, we work with uh, Visa, we work with the NBA, um, we work with the WNBA, we work with uh, PayPal, eBay. Uh, we've had some amazing supporters and donors step forward. We work with Experian, 
Uh, Can you explain a little bit how you work with them and what it is that they do to support you? Yeah. So there's a number of things. So generally, because there's all different ways that we work together, but generally as Black Girl Ventures, we're looking to create, again, community assets and capacity. That also includes like narrative shifting. So some of the work we do with um, with Nike is we have murals that we put up. And so if you're ever in a DC area and you go over to uh, Union Market, you can see uh, the entrepreneurship is a boxing match mural, which is huge on the side of the market. Um, we also, the fellowship is the, is the core of what a lot of our partners work with us on. So they are uh, funding the fellowship efforts which in the fellowship efforts, we also create a hyper-local pitch competition. So there's a pitch program and a fellowship kind of all together in that one. Um, the fellows that are part of the fellowship are responsible for training other people. So we train them on how to map their ecosystems. And then they are responsible for going to try and um, training other people on how to map their ecosystems. And the idea is that nobody has to say, well, I didn't know that the government was offering these you know, grant dollars, or I didn't know that the you know, the Women's Business Center was down the street. I didn't know where to go get a, you know, those types of things as we build businesses. So we work with them in the fellowship where, you know, it's been support for leaders and also the uh, the pitch program. Then we have uh, our next gen program that's coming out, which is working with HBCU students, um, historically black colleges and universities, um, those students. And um, and then, you know, like with Experian, we focus heavily on content, finance content, content that shifts the narrative around who can be an entrepreneur, who can, you know, have levels of wealth. Um, a lot of the work we do is focused on storytelling and narrative shifting. And I want to make that really clear to the people who are listening that Black Girl Ventures is not just about this competition, which is how it started, which, you know, is a competition for to earn funding for your for your um your business, but it is now an all-encompassing, multi-prong support system for businesses founded by Black and Brown women and others. I mean, you can go on your your website and look at the content. You don't have to be a Black and or Brown female to gain you know knowledge from your website. You have amazing, amazing content. So I think it's really important to point that out that you have grown this from this competition where people were dropping marbles into a cup and you were cooking all of the the food for everyone <laughs> into this big organization and you know and and again to what you were saying yes it is a nonprofit but it's not about charity it's a nonprofit organization that is supporting this community and i also want to point out and ask you you have a big team. I mean, you have a, this is, this is a very legit operation that is supported by, you know, the technology, the technology piece, you have the corporate, the corporate partnerships, you have the competitions, you have the content. Talk about your team a little bit. Who makes this happen? I mean, you don't have to get into like the specifics of like who and their names, but like what kinds of roles really play into building this organization? Yeah, so we have three main teams. We have a community team, a marketing team, and a program team. And then we have uh, the C-suite. So I have a CFO, COO, and then we have a um, a uh, like support administrators, like administrative staff um, that is, you know, anything from accounting to uh, to project managers, that kind of thing. I think, though, your question, I'm glad that you asked me that in terms of, like, what's behind the scenes? Like, how do you make this go? 
because so our core, our main core values are, are hustle, expand, commit, and harmonize. And these really speak to how to be versus what we're doing. And so even in the roles, you know, that everybody's creating, there's a culture around how to be with each other, how to be in community. So one of the things that we have said is like, we're a community of people working together. Yes, we have roles. Yes, we have titles. But we all very much care about what we're doing at BGV. We care about the founder stories. We are really, really focused on what it means to treat treat each other kindly and how to work together collaboratively. And that, you know, when I when building BGV, I wanted to create a workplace where you didn't have to feel like you had to be so Eurocentric or you couldn't be yourself or you couldn't, you know, express what you want to express emotionally. Or, you know, so I think that I have some really amazing people that work with us at Black Ventures to make this all go. I'm the visionary, but without them, you know, none of this would be possible. All right. Did you ever think this would be what it is today? No. Oh my God. God, no. I was <laughs> when you were dropping marbles in coffee cups. No way, shape, or form. If you had asked me, did I think that last year I would be on a Nike billboard beside like Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, I would have been like, you're tripping. That's not happening. If you had asked me, you know, in the beginning, did I think I would be on NBA on TNT talking about BGV and having like LeBron and um, uh, KD like talk about what we do at BGV? No way. I would have been like, you're tripping. I have no idea how that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I had no idea. It's amazing what you've built. And before I let you go, I want to ask you what I ask every single founder before we get off. And that is what are three things that you would tell someone who has an idea? What, what are three things that you would pieces of advice that you would give them if they were looking to start their own entity? Oof. Um, I always tell people uh, revenue is a validator. Um, and in, in, in a, um, yeah, revenue is a validator. Like, so if you're building something, you know, a lot of times you want approval from people around you or investors or people you think know better. And sometimes they don't know better. But ultimately, you know, revenue is your validator. Um, think in, think about just how you make things systematic and scale it um, so that you can actually like alleviate some of the time and pressure on what you're doing every time. So like for me, I'm a systems thinker and creator. So every time I'm like, OK, if one plus one equals two. How many times can we run that? And yet how many tools can we get out of it? And then can I take a bunch of threes, put them in the mix and get them to also create a one plus one equals two? You know what I mean? So I think like, yeah, think about how you systematically build a repeatable process so that you can actually breathe a little bit and like spare your mental health. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that uh, wellness is life. And so it's not like, oh, I'm going to have a break and we're going to take it, you know, I'm going to break away and you know, have a self-care day, like, nah, 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 nah. Like every day has to include some level of self-care, awareness, family time, hugs from kids, you know, high fives, you know, whatever you have to do to create wellness all the time, because building is, can be a challenge. You literally are laying it brick by brick. That in this case, the you you got the mortar and the brick and, you, and you're building that thing. So make sure you take time to breathe get massages, but in the course of your day, time block, stand up, walk away, you know, things like that. Such good advice. Shelly Omilati Bell, thank you 
so much. The pleasure has been all mine. I, I have learned so much just from this conversation and I'm so intrigued by every single thing that you've built. And I can't wait to continue this conversation with you. Um, thank you for giving your time to me today on Dear Founder. And I look forward to seeing what's to come. Thank you. This is awesome. Omi is filled with so much wisdom. I am so glad that you had the opportunity to meet her today. I loved this conversation that she and I had, and I'm so excited to continue our relationship. Get out your pen and paper for some of her key takeaways. Number one, find the purpose and then come up with the platform and technology to support, house, and carry it out. Number two, we need more people at the table with more leadership and awareness at the table with cultural competency in order to be able to create an ecosystem feel. We need everyone working together so that this entrepreneurial highway has its on and off ramps to really push the economy forward. Number three, businesses are not a baby. Hopefully one day you sell your business, but you don't sell your baby. Your business is not a baby, but your business does have soul. Number four, everything we're doing is dictated by need. A lot of the things you do as entrepreneurs are simply dictated by the needs that you have. Number five, find partners that fit with your cause and your mission. They can help to create visibility, your narrative, and your mission. Find partners who can help you to generate content for those who are in your community so that they can benefit from them. Number six, hustle, expand, commit, and harmonize. Those are the core values of Black Girl Ventures Foundation. They are about how to be, not about how you're doing. We are all very much, we all very much care about our community, but we also have to work together. Number seven, your team is everything. Omi describes herself as the visionary, but without her team, she wouldn't or couldn't be able to be doing what she is today. Number eight, revenue is a validator. If you're building something, you obviously want approval from people or investors or people who think that you know better, but ultimately revenue is your validator. Number nine, think about how you make things systematic and at scale so that you can alleviate some pressure. Think about how you systematically build a repeatable process so that you can actually breathe a little bit and spare your mental health. Number 10, wellness is about life. Every day has to include some level of self of self care, family time, hugs from kids, whatever you can do to create wellness all the time. Make sure that you take time to breathe. Thank you so much, Shelly Omilati Bell, for your time, for your wisdom, and just for having this conversation because it was so awesome. I hope to have you back again soon. I cannot thank you all enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder on Instagram. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. We have some incredible guests coming up. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or raise money, or who has started their own business, or who has an amazing idea for a business, please text them this episode, post it on your Instagram, tag me, and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back soon with another episode of Dear Founder.